This program is sponsored and produced by Let's Talk Hookup. Opinions and offers expressed during this program are not those of Intercom Communications or 97.3 The Fan. Sometimes they tell some pretty hefty fish stories, and we don't know if they're true or not. KWFN-FM and KWFN-HD1 San Diego, a radio.com sports station. Hello, this is Jace Tingler from the San Diego Padres. This ball game belongs to my San Diego Padres. The Padres play here on San Diego's number one sports station, 97.3 The Fan. This program is sponsored and produced by Wilsey Asset Management. Opinions and offers expressed during this program are not those of Intercom Communications or 97.3 The Fan. Welcome to your commercial-free, uninterrupted investment show. Sponsored by the SEC-registered investment firm, Wilsey Asset Management, a fiduciary firm owned and operated by President Brent Wilsey, who has been putting clients' investment needs first for over 40 years. The Smart Investing Show has been giving unbiased financial information for over 27 years on local radio stations right here in San Diego, providing you with fundamental analysis on stocks and investments you want to know about. Now, here are your hosts... Brent and Chase Wilsey. Well, good morning and welcome to Smart Investing Show. I'm Brent Wilsey and thank you for joining us this morning. I have been doing the Smart Investing Show here in San Diego on local radio for 27 years. I think soon to be 28 years. But if you have investment questions or want a fundamental analysis of a stock you own or looking at buying, selling, or holding, please give, give us a call here at the station, 833 288 Zero nine seven three. Again, that's eight three three two eight eight zero nine seven three. And as always on the Smart Investing Show, that I get you through for your unbiased, no strings attached, fundamental opinion about what you want to talk about. Chase, good morning. How you doing? Good morning. Good to be here. Uh, doing pretty good. Yeah, we we got a lot to talk about. Uh, before we go into it, I, I did want to just kind of mention on the Wall Street Journal this morning. I saw that uh, actually it was Barrons, uh, the airlines. How many, how many people? I kind of told you the answer today, so it's not <laughs> going to fool the audience. I think you just audience. give it away. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, let's give it away. The, the average number of passengers on domestic flights in the U.S., 17. Yeah. <laughs> and the, the nice thing is, I mean, I, I do think that will start to creep up over time. I mean, uh, I'll be flying next week, actually, so I, I'm curious to see what, what that's going to look like. Um, you, you know, I, I think it might be around 20, maybe. Maybe as jump we, up. We start <laughs> to go over the next few hey, weeks. Hey, percentage-wise, that's a big increase. It you know, is. what is that 20% increase there? So, yeah. yeah. And I'm just wondering too. We we gotta get to our important stuff here, but I'm just wondering too if if first class is open. Do you think they'll let you sit in first class? Well, we were talking to uh, uh, Aladia, who's our our VP of operations, and her neighbor. One of their friends actually flew on United, mm-hmm. and I think there were five people on the plane. And they said, uh, sir, you, you can go ahead and sit in first class <laughs> if you want. <laughs> well, that's a cheap first class seat oh, there. Yeah. So. All right, well, well, let's uh, talk about the important stuff here. we we, we got to get to the employment numbers because they came out yesterday. And, oh, my gosh, you know, uh, it shows a port, uh, post-World War II record of 20.5 million people lost their jobs in, in April. Unemployment rate, 14.7. I did see the estimates did come at 16%, so we beat the estimate. But, Chase, we've got to dig into these numbers because, as always, we always talk about the media likes to make them how bad they are. And we're not going to say they're good, but there's a reason why why they're, they're such bad numbers. Oh, of course. And, you know, we did kind of look at it compared to other uh, financial crises. And uh, we'll kind of continue on with that conversation because it's not like another financial crisis. Right. But we, we did want to just kind of look at where we were in other points in history. But 2008, 2009, we actually saw peak unemployment about 10%. So we did surpass that. Uh, but the Great Depression – 
still nowhere near that. About 25% of the population was estimated to be unemployed. So not near that, above the Great Recession. But the big thing is we are not in a similar situation in those two time periods whatsoever, in our opinion. I mean, the big reason is if you look at those that actually were counted as unemployment, unemployed, excuse me, 78% said those layoffs were temporary. So they'll be coming back in, and about 18 million workers believe they would return to work within six months. I can tell you, it was not the same way during the Great Depression. (laughs) You were looking, oh my gosh, I never know when I'm going to go back to work. And the Great Recession as well, 2008, people thought, oh my gosh, this is terrible. Because the economy was bad, this was a forced recession, we'll call it, or forced shutdown by the government. So it's not the same thing. And also, let's talk about the dollars. Because back in the Great Depression, back in the Great Recession, you are not getting an extra $600 a month on your unemployment. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. I know what you want to talk about, the teenagers, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. I was, I was talking to, uh, you know, because I, I do coach football at uh, Poway High, and I, I was talking to one of the, the, the kids that, that I coach, and he was saying, yeah, I'm getting $700 a week. <laughs> <laughs> He's not going to go back to play football. <laughs> <laughs> but, you, you know, it, it, whether it's right or wrong on, on – uh, teenagers being able to collect that unemployment uh the truth of the matter is there is going to be a lot of money floating around out there and the big thing we talk about right now where are you spending that money yeah there's nowhere to spend it nowhere so to spend it at all w- when we when we do see things start to reopen and hey we, we had a i'll call it a very very limited reopening in our state of california uh yesterday yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah the wall street uh, journal did say the state of california well let me read it exactly here uh, California loosened its coronavirus-related restrictions, joining a dozen other states and easing shutdowns. <sighs> very, very small loosening, we'll put it that way. But the point that we see is, you know, with these loosenings of restrictions and over time, now there's more money to be spent in the economy and as people start to feel better. It's not going to be, again, uh, you know, you turn on the spigot and all of a sudden, right. psh, a overflow of, you know, money flowing back into the economy. But I think it's, I don't want to call it a slow drip, but I think it's going to be a steady flow of, you know, it's like, oh, things will start to get better and better and better. And it's not going to be again tomorrow all of a sudden wow we're, we're back to normal right. it's going to take i think a uh, several weeks maybe several months uh to really see money start to flow and people start to feel comfortable yet again and also too the other thing that did not happen the great depression or the great recession was a ppp loan now again i know there's issues with that it's not a perfect thing nothing's ever perfect but it is putting money back into employers pockets to pay people to come back to work that was never done before so that's also going to help, and, and I do a, a, a weekly segment on Fridays on one American News Network on the, the Ledger Report, and I, and I came up with this thing that it's like a snowball. You, you start at the top of the hill, the snowball's very small, and as it rolls down the hill, rolls down the hill, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. That's what we're going to see here. Every month's going to be better and better and better, and come December 31st, you're going to say, like, wow. I mean, and I still don't think we'll be back to the, was that 3.5% or 3.6% unemployment? Yeah. But we're going to be at a point where you're going to feel pretty darn good as we get moving forward and things start coming back slowly. And, again, we talked last week, too, about the freeways. Freeways, like, you know, crowded yeah. now, getting credit. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, overall, uh, you know, I kind of said in our post, it's, it's tough to find good news in this report when you have all these people being mm-hmm. unemployed. But, again, the positive sign is people do believe they have a job to come back to, and, you know, there is a lot of money in the economy here. And kind of a side topic I, I, I thought it would be interesting to discuss was, uh, you know, a lot of times, how could the stock market go up? <laughs> When we have 20.5 million people lose their jobs in April. Very important to distinguish the economy and stock market, while they mm-hmm. are related, 
they're different. The stock market is forward-looking while the economic reports are backwards-looking. So people are saying, oh, the states are starting to reopen, and we're starting to see some good news here with the COVID-19 virus. So that's why you're, you can see that disconnect between the two data points. And also, too, that's why we, we brought up the other fact, too, about all this money coming in with the extra $600 a week from the federal government, uh, the PPP loans. I think that's also what investors and that Wall Street is looking at is that this is not going to be a great recession, a great depression. This is a whole different story. We will come back quicker uh, than before. Uh, you kind of brought, brought up about the Wall Street. So let's uh, skip up to the S&P 500 index. You know, it's held up well this year and now down just about 10%. Uh, however, I'm extremely worried about how the market will perform moving forward. And, and we got to talk about, we've done this in the past, but I think it's so important because people say, wow, you know, I'm going to invest in the S&P 500 because it's so great. Well, let's talk about the S&P 500 because it's not as diversified as people may think it is. Yeah, I mean, you, you look at the big five tech names and, you know, people love them, but the truth of the matter is they're expensive. You know, you look at Microsoft, Apple, Amazon, Facebook, and Google, they now make up more than 20% of the entire index. And, and let's point out, you said more than, not almost. You said more than 20%. Yeah, so over, I think it's like 20.8%, nah. 21%. It's not like 28%, but it is over 20%. I, I just want to give the, the number. <laughs> I don't want to over-embellish here. But you even look at 20% of the entire index. Five companies account for that amount. The other 495 businesses in the S&P 500 index, 80%. Wow, that is not very diversified. <laughs> you are very heavily concentrated in those five names. And then also, if you take it one step further and just look at tech overall, I mean, you look at the information technology sector mm -hmm. plus the communication sector, which, you know, includes names like uh, Netflix and Disney. Oh, there's Disney. a good buy. <laughs> Exactly. You know, companies that – And that was and a joke, Google, by the way. Right? And Google's Google. another yeah. one as well that's in that, that sector. So I, that is very tech heavy. And then also if you add Amazon into that, because they are counted as consumer discretionary, but they are a high-flying tech company. I think it's a miscategorization to have them as consumer discretionary, especially now with their cloud business. But uh, I digress. If you add all those tech companies together, that's about 40% of the entire market. So 40% is tech, financials, you know, energy, mm -hmm. uh, those other sectors, not accounting for nearly as much as technology. Right. And, and let's kind of tell you what that means as well, because – Somebody puts a uh, $1,000 into the S&P 500. Well, it's market cap weighted. So what happens at $1,000 of that $200 or 20% over 20% actually goes just to those five companies. So it's kind of like self-serving because it goes in there. It increases those five companies. Index goes up. Oh, it's good. I'm going to put money into it because index is going up. So it keeps going. Eventually, this will change, and this would happen the tech bust. I mean, for a year, I was wrong for years. But nothing goes to the moon. And these valuations of these companies are getting very high. You can hear the talking heads all day long on CNBC and Fox Business, all these, oh, how great these businesses are and so forth. I'm sorry. They are great businesses, but they're very pricey. And nothing stays above the average. Everything eventually comes to the average. May happen tomorrow, may happen next week, may not happen for a year or two. Who knows? But the thing is, you're not investing using fundamentals. You're investing on a hype strategy that will not work forever and then people are going to wonder well, why you know why is the stock market so risky what did i do wrong and we talk about two scenarios uh of what's going to happen either one is going to be a big drop very quickly or i think what's worse and we've used examples before microsoft and so forth what is worse is i think for years the index may do nothing because things come back to that 
mean, back to that average. So it could be like five, six years, and oh, you know, index is not doing anything because of those five companies or the 40% of the index. I mean, yeah, just kind of simplified is you could have, let's say, 50 of the 495, co- or, yeah, the 495 companies do very, very well. Yep. But it wouldn't matter because if those big five don't do well, it's going to drag down the entire performance of the S&P. And, and that's what I worry about. And I, I do kind of want to discuss it as well. Because I talked about how the market is forward-looking, and that's why there's that disconnect between the economy. These have just been blown way out of proportion in terms of forward-looking. I mean, these companies are positive for the year. How in the world is it justifiable to have Apple be positive for the year when the economic recovery, their supply chain, it's all messed up. It's higher than it was <laughs> last year when they were doing very, very well. That makes no sense to me. I mean, that's why I say avoid these big tech companies. I think you know they might hold up okay, they, but you're they, not going to have the return potential. Right. And, and they may even go up higher. And that, that's the thing. That's how crazy it is. As I said, people see the index goes up. Oh, well, that did good. This, this other thing that Brent Chase talks about, well, that's not doing very good. So I'm going to go into the index because that's doing good. So they put more money into it, and then it does better again. But eventually the whole thing collapses. And if we can go back to the 1600 with the tulip crisis, people just don't learn. And, and actually, um, what was I talking about? Oh, for, for our client event that we have coming up, which actually be a webinar because we yeah. can't have a, a group of 200 people. But talking about how back in, in the tech bust, that was over 20 years ago, about 20 years ago. There was a lot of people investing now don't even know what the tech bus. I mean, they heard of it, but they didn't feel it. They didn't live through it like, like I have. And it's, it, it's a different scenario. And things will change. There's no easy way to invest. And when you get this hype thing going, it's like that. We talk about the snowball for the economy. Well, you now have the snowball for the, the index. And it's just growing and growing and growing. It doesn't grow forever. Eventually, it's going to pop. Or as you said, the air will come out slowly for years, and, and it won't grow. The other thing you have, too, is you don't even have people that weren't investing during the tech boom and bust. Mm-hmm. But you also have people that start to justify, oh, it's different this time. Oh, yeah. And, you know, they forget about the pain that was witnessed in the tech bust. Or, I mean, you had businesses uh, like Microsoft, Cisco, Intel, mm-hmm. these great businesses, very, very strong. But they were falling 70, 80, 90 percent. And people were losing their shirts because they were so overly concentrated in these tech names, and let's talk about the NASDAQ. Yeah. You know, people lost so much money on the NASDAQ because, oh, I'm doing so great. And, you know, you can be lucky for right. a long time, you know, several years, and it's like, oh, Brett and Chase, they're so wrong. And I knew Shopify was going to be the next big winner. Oh, I knew Amazon was going to be the next big thing. But then when things start to fall apart, you start to panic because you don't know why you held it. And, oh, it'll come back. And all of a sudden, it doesn't start to come back. Now you're stuck in a rut. Yep. You have no idea what's going on. That's why it gets very, very dangerous to be hi- buying these high flyers. Yeah. Always makes sense to understand what you're investing in, what you're buying, what you're paying for something. Do they have earnings? They have a clean balance sheet. And it doesn't mean you're going to be right on the short term. And short term could be two, three, four, five years. That could be the short term. But you should be investing for your lifetime, which is a whole different scenario. So right now the index is hot. looks pretty good. And because it's hot, people can put money into it. Big mistake, and again, can't tell you when, but something will change on that eventually, and it won't be good. One more point I did want to make on that is, uh, you know, I I don't think the index over the next 10 years is going to be negative, but I just think your returns on it will be very limited. Yes, and and actually, we do in our workshop, uh, we look at a 20-year time frame, Mm -hmm. which actually our webinar, by the way, it's coming up, so I'm going to promote that in a second, but our webinar is coming up uh, this Thursday. But in that uh, webinar, we do show 
what the 20-year return has been on the Dow and the S&P 500. I don't have the, the numbers in front of me, but I think it's somewhere around 2 to 3% is a 20-year return. Um, I, I believe we have a time frame, but it, it it's was. It's not 20 years? The 20-year on the S&P 500 is 5.6% is what that is, but we also did look at the S&P uh, at, at a different time a different period. time frame. Okay. It wasn't <clears throat> 20 years through now. Okay. But okay. There, there are time periods where, yeah, you're right, the S&P right. will do 2.3% or something yeah. like that. So and I forget why we chose that time frame. Well, I guess people just have to sign up for the webinar, and they, they'll actually see, which I'll promote in a second, because I do want to – I did mention uh, Peloton. Uh, you, you know, such, such a crazy <laughs> thing. Uh, you know, here's a company. I mean, their stock prices, you know, going higher – higher oh it's great why is it going up oh well the ceo says well we're a technology company so therefore we deserve this higher valuation ratios and we did actually do a post on this on our social media some people responded well yeah because they get these these videos uh, digitally online and it's, i'm sorry that is such a big stretch to be a digital company there's so many other companies out there that are more uh technology wise than peloton than than this company. Well, I, I kind of referenced you, you know several of the other big company names and uh, you know like a J.P. Morgan Chase. You know they use blockchain technology. That well, they're they're a cryptocurrency, <laughs> right, right? We should right. be trading them like crazy. <laughs> no, that makes no sense. They're a big bank. Oh, what about General Motors? They have an autonomous driving you know cruise automation platform. No, they're a big automaker. They trade at you know four or five times earnings. Yep. They're not trading like a, a Tesla or you know a, an autonomous vehicle company. Yet they do have a very strong autonomous vehicle platform. Uh, Waymo is another one with Google. Yeah. Um, and then the last one I point out was like Packard. They're an, they're a truck manufacturer. They were actually at uh, the big convention oh, in, in, Las in Las Vegas. Vegas. Yeah, that's right. Where the technology plays because they have these you know immensely technological drivetrains now and they have autonomous trucks that they're working on they have you know these hybrid vehicle trucks that they're working on they're a truck manufacturer that that's the thing i was kind of looking at with peloton is like I, I i get it you're using technology to deliver your service but if you made that classification pretty much every business now is a technology company because you have to utilize technology to stay alive nowadays mm -hmm. yep, yep and, and the stock has virtually doubled i think from like 20 to 40 or something uh, and people are not going to be locked down their homes forever. And, and also, too, I know when you order things, I don't know about Peloton, but I was going to look at or ordering a, uh, an exercise bike for the house. And they said the earliest delivery, and this was about a week ago, was going to be June 26th through July 1st. I'm thinking, well, wait a minute, I might get it. And then two weeks later, the gym opens up. So I'm just wondering how long this major growth for Peloton will last. And I think you know somebody uh, that actually does that work. I don't know anybody that does it, but you know somebody that does it. I have a couple of people I know. Yeah. Uh, my old football coach actually really, really enjoys them. And, yep. you know, I, I, everyone that I've talked to, everyone, uh, the two people <laughs> I've talked to that, that have a Peloton, they love it and they swear by it. But for me, I, I just, I, I think biking, it, it's just, I get bored. Yeah. Um, and I don't care if you have different trainers or taking you through different workouts. Oh, speed up here, slow down here. You're still pedaling. <laughs> it's a bike. <laughs> You're not going uh, anyplace. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I don't see the fad. Uh, I'd rather go to the gym personally. Um, and, you know, it, it's got gotten that bit higher as well, not just because it's a tech company. Uh, you know, I put quotations in the air, but you can't see it because we're on radio. It's not a tech company in my opinion. Right. Uh, but it's also gotten that bump because it's a stay-at-home stock. But as yeah. you kind of said, once we do start returning to normalcy, I just don't see people saying, oh, you know, I, I want to have that Peloton. Maybe their subscriber base goes down as well because it's like, I'm kind of bored of these workouts. 
You know, so I, I just think they've pulled a lot of demand forward here, and I think they borrowed from the future, essentially, which will hurt their stock price and their growth going forward. Yep, yep. And and, and we, we did kind of talk about the unemployment already, but one thing, too, that is happening is that a lot of your white-collar workers, uh, and they even did a thing on education, people with higher education, they seem seem to still be working. Who, who's not working, who got hit the most was your restaurant, your hospitality industry. Uh, they're the ones staying home. So when they start coming back to work, but... You know, still a lot of people. It, once those gyms open up, and I, I saw that I think Gold Gym, uh, Gold's Gym, long been around for I remember the '60s, uh, '70s back when I was bodybuilding. Um, they're going bankrupt. So oh, they are. Yep. And didn't 24 Hour Fitness announce? I don't know if they've finalized it, but I thought they said something that they I, might. I, I, I forget. They're the, story, they're the yeah. big one. I think they were, but but again, we got to remember bankruptcy could just mean reorganization and all the shareholders, and they don't. I don't think they're public, but somebody loses the money, but the the business can still be there. Somebody else comes in, and oh great, now we own Twenty Four Hour Fitness with no debt. So, yeah, <laughs> you know, about the debt. So, all right, uh, let's open the phone lines here. Uh, just about nine twenty. Phone numbers here. You got a question on a company you want to talk about that you're looking at buying, selling. Maybe you're thinking, ah, I don't know if I should sell this. Should I hold it? That's what we're here for to talk about the companies you want to talk about. Phone numbers 833-288-0973. Again, that's 833-288-0973. We do have a couple of people that actually did send us an email through our website. Now, if you want to uh, have a question on a company, you don't want to come on air to do it, uh, you can go to our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. And just send us an email on what company you want to talk about. We got one here from Don and Jim. We're going to do those today. Also, I'll try to get to those today if we can. Uh, but I do want to talk about the uh, webinar because it is this Thursday already. I can't believe it, May 14th. And you're going to learn about our investment strategies. What are we talking about? Why do we do what we do? And, again, it takes a long time to do it. But we're going to show you everything that we do and how we invest in companies, what we're looking at. Also, too, how to invest, where to invest, what to look for in investing, what not to do, all these things to make you a smarter investor. It is free. What you have to do is sign up for it to get access to the webinar. It is, again, Thursday, May 14th. It's virtually going to be all day for you. Go to our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. And uh, we'll see you Thursday. Uh, the webinar. Yes. Yeah, and I was going to say, too, I mean, the, the reason I, I, I'm so excited about these webinars right now, too, is because we, we do what's known as, uh, again, value investing. And I, I just think, gosh, right now, what we've seen, we've talked, obviously, about the S&P 500 index. We talked about the, the companies that are overpriced. The other side of that is there are so many opportunities for these businesses that have been that are trading at levels that they haven't traded at since like the 2000s. I mean, there are so many great opportunities at this time, and I really do believe value investing will greatly outperform the index growth investing over the next 10 years because of this huge mispricing we have in the market. And as we start mm -hmm. to get back to normalcy, these companies that are on a fire sale, they, they could double, they could triple, I'm going to say within four or five years because – they are so misunderpriced at the current time. Yep, yep. And that's what you look for. Again, when you're investing, you look for things that are on sale, not things that are overpriced and overhyped. So, all right. Uh, gosh, where did the email go here? Where? Did, okay, Don. Okay, uh, he says, uh, sorry I missed the uh, last webinar. Uh, I am a longtime listener and I have attended a few of your seminars, as you probably know. I would like to know your opinion on ExxonMobil at this time. I own quite a bit. My father was an engineer for them and, and designed refineries. Uh, it, it, it took uh, quite a beating with the virus thing, but I would expect to recover some when things get back to normal. 
whenever that will be or whatever that will be. Uh, total, totally enjoy your show and look forward to it each week. I still get it from the wilds of Arizona. I guess it lives somewhere up in uh, the Arizona hills, I guess. Um, I also get uh, good advice listening to your show and now webinars. Keep up the good work and stay healthy, Don. All righty. Well, let's take a look at uh, Exxon Mobil. Symbol is XOM. And we do see, uh, wow, good start surprising me here. And these are numbers as of March 31st. They do have a P.E. ratio of 18.5, which means they had earnings over the last 12 months. Uh, industry, not material. We do see price of sales 0.78 versus 1.03. That is good. Price of book value 1.1 versus 0.8. And price of cash flow 6.3 versus 2.5. So the valuation ratios look pretty good for ExxonMobil. We do see a dividend yield of, wow, 7.5%, but they do use 140% of their earnings to pay that out. And the question is, will they kind of pull back on that dividend? Perhaps because their earnings are not there, and many times companies want to retain their capital. So they could cut this dividend uh, going forward. We do see that their sales were down 9.6%, industry down 3.8%. Earnings per share fell by 43%, but much better than the industry uh, decline of 181%. The balance sheet does look pretty good. The current ratio, a little bit questionable here. It's 0.8 versus 1.2, but debt to equity, very good, 33 versus 72. Return that equity is 5.7 versus a negative 7.4. Net profit margin checks in at 4.4. The industry had a negative net profit margin of 10.8. And we see what turnover is, 10.4 versus 6.5, and inventory turnover, 10.2 versus the industry at 10.1. So, Chase, tell us about the numbers. Yeah, so current price here for uh, Exxon Mobil is $46.18. Uh, still, of course, well off its 52-week high of $77.93. And 52-week low is $30.11. I look out to December 2021, I see estimated earnings per share on a gap basis, $1.29. Unfortunately, that would give me a target sell price of $20.90. So, again, very far below still that current price and of course we are coming off a low base with oil prices at extremely low levels i do think oil prices will have somewhat of a recovery of course over the next couple of years i don't think we're going back to where we were gosh several years ago where you know we saw close to a hundred dollars a barrel by any means but um you know i i do worry about exxon mobile in particular uh you talk about they had positive earnings over the last 12 months i would want to look into that my guess is the reason for that is likely a sale of you know uh, part of their one of their units or, or something of that nature because I, I know there's no way they made made money. I don't right. want to say no way, but right. there's no way they had a huge amount of earnings like that's portraying. And, and you bring up a good point that we always uh, go over uh, is you got to understand those earnings because again it does look like they have positive earnings. Oh, how great it is! We did not look at the actual earnings to see what they are, but you you can have positive earnings by selling an asset. Or the other thing, too, you have positive earnings if they had like a big write-off the previous year. Now that will change around. So we give these numbers. We are not saying, yes, go and buy Exxon right now. You've got to do your own homework because before we buy any company in our business, it's 10, 15, 20 hours of research looking for things that could actually pop up that would be a surprise to you, like as Chase talked about. Wow, I got the, you know, Exxon's making money. Then you find out, oh, yeah, they sold some refinery or something, and that's how they had the earnings. And then <laughs> next time they don't. And also, too, the other thing you want to look at is the, uh, there's, what, 12 analysts that uh, the average was $1.29. Uh, the high was $3 and a penny. The low was $1.11. Negative. So you, negative. Yeah, negative $1.11. So you got to understand what those analysts are coming up with because that's an average. And what do you think about the business? 
uh, because an analyst could be shorting that company trying to get it down. Yeah, and I, I mean, the thing, too, is even if it was, let's call it $3, our, our target sell price would be $48 on it. So it, it's not even that attractive. I, I don't like Exxon. Um, I, you know, I, I've always kind of favored Chevron to begin with. I, mm-hmm. I think they are a, a cleaner company. I, I think Exxon, they're borrowing to pay off that dividend. If they are selling off assets, too, you, you might feel good that you're still getting that dividend and getting that income at the current time. But anyway, we talk about borrowing from the future. That's essentially what this business is doing. If they are borrowing to pay that dividend, they're selling off assets to pay that dividend. Well, think about that. Those assets that they sold, they're not going to get back. So in 10 years, they don't have that asset producing any longer. They could be selling off great assets that could hurt the long-term performance of the overall business. I I just feel like they've kind of pigeonholed themselves into paying out this dividend, and I think it's very, very dangerous for the the company to do so. And and we talk about this because, you know, a lot of people say, oh, the PE is this. And again, when I looked at ExxonMobil, it looked pretty good. And I knew there's something about it that I, so much money about it, I, go, ah, I, I know that I've looked at the past. I think we did look at it a little bit deeper and we found things like, ah, oh, not that good. But that's why, uh, again, when we give you these numbers, is to say, because if the numbers are bad, like, uh, don't waste your time. But if the numbers are good, it means, you know what, this is a potential. You've got to understand the business more. And that's what we do. And that's what we'll talk about the webinar, what we actually do to really dig deeper into that. So, all right, uh, phone numbers, uh, 833 288 Zero nine seven three. That's eight three three two eight eight zero nine seven three. Let's head out to La Jolla and speak with Chris. Chris, you're on the Smart Investor with Brent Chase. How can we help you? Uh, thank you, Brent, and uh, uh, got you on your new, new new station. And hope you have all the best of luck with that. Well, Listen, I I wanted to talk to you today about Viacom V I A C. Uh, I uh, it's one of my biggest positions. Uh, I feel like it is undervalued. I think the forward P.E. ratio is like 7.7, or it's in the single digits, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, to me, it uh, so to me it seems undervalued. Uh, I believe it's uh, got a, a great dividend. Uh, right now, dividend is about 5.3%, but uh, the payout ratio is attractive. I think it's only like 40%, so they seem like they can well afford to pay that, that good, healthy dividend. Uh, and uh, it went up 10% Thursday on a good earnings report. It also went up 10% Friday. Uh, and to me, it, it does seem like it's still undervalued. And uh, so I believe I just wanted to see your take on it. Okay. Hey, you know, it is kind of funny, uh, uh, Chris, because uh, Viacom is one that uh, Chase and I at a firm here, we've, we've tossed that name around a couple of times because we think there's some potential there. Uh, so I'm glad you called about it. Let's take a look at the numbers here at Viacom, CBS Incorporated. Symbol is VIAC. Uh, a great start. P.E. ratio, 5.1. That's well below the industry to 11.9. Price to sales, 0.4 versus 1.8. That is good. Price to tangible book value, not material. That's the same as the industry. It's because of all the buying that they do and all the goodwill balance sheets. You've got to understand what the goodwill is, make sure it won't be written down in the future. Uh, price cash flow is a 4.1. That's half the price of the industry at 9.8. Now, you are right. They pay a 5.3% dividend. Actually, only use 25% of their earnings to pay that out. Now, sales year over year, uh, they were down 0.9%. The industry was up 117 Earnings for Viacom did fall by 48.6%, more than the industry decline at 6.4. Uh, and I think the balance sheet was one thing that did kind of worry me. We got, we got a current ratio of 1.2. That's uh, better than the industry at 1.0. 
but the debt to equity is 138% versus 124%. And as I said, I think this company has a lot of goodwill on their balance sheet. What worries me is that the whole industry has changed into streaming and all this other stuff, and it is about content. I, I just feel that we may not understand enough about what that content is and what the, the assets of Viacom are, the intangible assets, and it worries me that they could be written down which would be some problems because that would raise your debt to equity. With that said, the return to equity is very good, 24.3 versus 18.3. Net profit margin, that comes in at 7.4. That's half the industry at 14.7. And receivable turnover is 5.3 versus 7.4, while inventory turnover 12.5 versus 16.7 for the industry. Chase, what about the earnings going forward? Yeah, l let me talk about the, the current valuation and so forth and kind of have an opinion piece on it to want to talk about. But starting off, the current price for Viacom, $18.08, 52-week high, $53.71, and 52-week low, $10.10. Uh, so, again, you're getting this on great sale compared to the 52-week high, of course. But looking out to December 2021, wow, estimated earnings per share on a gap basis, $4.78. That would give us a target sell price of $77.44. So, I mean, as you said, Chris, the, the Ford P is very attractive. Actually, it's under four at the current time if you look at December 2021. Just a phenomenal uh, valuation there. Now, talking about Viacom, I liked this business a lot. Uh, I like that they own, you know, Nickelodeon. They own a lot of the content, the Comedy Centrals. They they own the content, which is what I've been looking for in a business. They have Showtime as well, so these streaming platforms are launching a streaming platform. I liked where that company was at. CBS is another one with the sports and so forth. It w all seemed like it was coming together very, very well. But the issue I had with it was that debt. I mean, if the debt to equity was, you know, 50%, I think it would have been a no-brainer, to be right. honest. <laughs> yeah. But it's the debt to equity that scares me because what could happen is now that they have the merger with CBS is that's where a lot of the goodwill stemmed from. You're going to have integration costs over the next several years, which also kind of complicates the, the picture for the company. And also with potential decline in advertising revenue, that could lead to write-offs. Write for that, that merger, which which is, again, another concern for an increase in debt to equity. Um, overall, though, I, I like this business. I wanted to buy it so bad. <laughs> I, I think it, it has such great potential to be a huge winner. But, it, but again, that debt to equity is just what scared us off there. And also, too, how, how much, as I said, the industry is changing. And you've got high debt. You've got high intangible assets. If they go the wrong direction, that stock may not recover. And they may have trouble with that debt. So... We, as you can tell, uh, Chris, we want to like this company, but I just get concerned. I think you said it's a large position for you. That would make me have a hard time sleeping at night. And again, hopefully this company goes from 18 to 36 over the next uh, couple of years. But I just get worried about things that what if things don't turn around here, which we're very optimistic they will. But what if they don't? Companies like this could have a hard time. You could lose all your investments. So I'd, I'd be very cautious here is what I'd be. I would love to see them pay down yep. that debt because I think it. it I would have love to buy it, as I said, without yep. the debt. Yeah, well, your points are very well taken, gentlemen, uh, and, and I concur. Uh, to me, when I invest in a company, the, the number one most important thing I look at is the balance sheet. Uh, it's got to be financially strong, the company, and and uh, if it isn't, then I look look elsewhere. So, yeah, I, I can well understand your point, and thank you so much for your input. I appreciate it. You're welcome, Chris. Thanks, thanks for calling. Bye-bye. Uh, you know, Chase, it's funny. I just looked real quickly. I didn't want to hold Chris on the line any longer there, but I just looked at their their, their balance sheet and their debt. Their debt is doubled to eighteen point five billion. It's because of the acquisition. Acquisition. So that that's yeah. what's kind of yeah worried us. Yeah, the total. Uh, C yeah. Actually, before Viacom and CBS merged, Viacom's debt 
didn't look as bad, but I think CBS did have a decent amount of debt. So when they merged, they took on CBS's right. balance sheet, of course, and I, I think it just kind of sent it higher. I, just, I right. wanted to like this company so much because I, I love the assets that they have. Yep. They have the studios. They have Paramount. I mean, they, they, they have the content, which is what I wanted in, in the streaming business. Right. And I just real quickly looked at the equity. Equity did go from $4.3 billion up to $13.4 billion. So it's just one of these things. You just got to be careful. So, all righty. Uh, that does open the phone line, uh, 833-288-0973. Again, that's 833-288-0973. Uh, before I go to the next caller, I want to talk about the uh, webinar coming up because it's coming up very quickly. It's going to be this Thursday, uh, May 14th. You can watch it all the way up till midnight. We're going to be talking about how we do the investing. You hear us just talking about CBS and the balance sheet. We actually do cover it in, in this uh, uh, webinar. We actually do cover uh, a look at the financial statements. What are we looking for? Try to pull out that. Try to explain it to you so you understand. And you may not be able to become an accountant, but you'll understand more about investing using fundamental analysis. Uh, we will talk about how to invest, where to invest, what to look for, when investing, uh, maybe things you shouldn't be doing. We do talk about day trading. We show you all the, 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 the negatives to that. But what you have to do is you have to actually tune in or go to the website, uh, smartinvesting2000.com. Again, that's smartinvesting2000.com. You do need to sign up. That is a must. Uh, there is no cost for this. But if you don't sign up, you won't be able to do it. And that is, again, this Thursday, May 14th, the Smart Investing webinar at our website, smartinvesting 2000 com. All right, let's head up to Carlsbad and speak with Don. Don, you're in the, the Smart Investor with Brent Chase. How can we help you? Uh, yes. Hi, guys. Um, I would like to have you uh, uh, investigate uh, the positives and negatives of general dynamics. Okay. Do you hold that or looking to buy them? Uh, no, I'm looking to possibly buy that. Okay, I didn't. That is one company I've always kind of liked, and I've, I've always kind of missed it because ah, I didn't get it. I, uh, you know, so I'm glad you're calling about it because maybe it's something we can look at adding in our portfolio as well if the numbers check out. Coming again is General Dynamics Corporation. Symbol is GD. Uh, we do a good start here. Uh, the PE ratio 11.4 versus 23.1. Uh, price to sales 1 versus 1.3. That is good. Uh, price standard book value is not material for both a company and the industry. I think it's just one of the factors when you have defense. Uh, you have a lot of intangible assets on the balance sheet. Uh, you still have to understand what those intangible assets are, though. Uh, price of cash flow is 9.1 versus 21.9, so that's positive. You do get a decent dividend of 3.3%. They use 35% of their earnings to pay that out. We do see sales did climb by 2.4% above the initial at 1.9, and these numbers are for March 29th. That's their ending period. Uh, earnings were up 6.4% year over year, while the industry was down 41.2, so that's big. Uh, the balance sheet, I think this is what always keeps me from probably uh, getting into these companies, is the current ratio 1.3, same as the industry. Debt to equity 136 versus, 1 point, or versus 147, and sometimes I think about it, with what they do, maybe because they had a little more debt, but we'll talk more about that with Chase in a minute here. Uh, return to equity 27 uh, versus 21. That's positive. Net profit margin checks in at 8.9, well above the industry at 5.6. And then receivable turnover is 3.4. That's below the industry at 4.8. And inventory turnover 
versus 2.7. Chase, tell us about the earnings. A little side note, I always confuse this company with General Atomics. <laughs> oh, do you really? General <laughs> Dynamics, General Atomics, God, it's making it so similar. But uh, anyways, the current price here, $135.35 for General Dynamics. 52-week high, nine, or not 900, wow, that'd be crazy. 52-week high is $193.76 and 52-week low, $100.55. Now look out to December 2021. I see estimated earnings per share on a gap basis, $12.23. That would give us a target sell price of $198.13. So, I mean, that looks very, very attractive there in terms of what the business does. I like that their defense and so forth. Uh, but again, kind of the same problem as we had with Viacom CBS was the, the debts just a little bit too high. Yeah, the, the debt is high, the intangible assets. And what I was going to say is that they maybe will have a little more debt because if you have a, a, a retail company and they have a lot of debt and consumers aren't buying because uh, of recession or something, that's going to hurt them. But this company, I'm not sure how much they get from the United States government, how much they get from governments, but I think their cash flow, their, their, their sales coming in are a little more stable than a retail or another business that maybe they can afford a more debt. And, that, and I'm just kind of speaking out loud here, Don, on, on, on things that I might kind of like. But I like the price. I like what it does. And it would take us more research to really look at it. Um, but it, there, there could be some possibilities here. Yeah, and I mean, you're right. Definitely a more predictable cash flow stream is more allowable for a little yep. bit more debt because, like we said, with Viacom, CBS, everybody stops advertising you're not going to be able to pay off that <laughs> debt. But if you're a defense contractor and you still have that, that cash flow coming in, yeah, it's not going to be as troublesome. So, I mean, I, I don't want to say yes or no on it. Uh, I'd be cautious with that debt level. But, I mean, there are definitely some positives here. Yeah, and I would look at where their business comes from. You know, how much – and also okay. they, have, they have contracts as well. So it's a little bit deeper. I, I think it's worth the research. All right? Great. Thank you. Thanks Appreciate for calling, Don. You have a good one. Bye-bye. All right. That does open the phone line, 833 833- Two eight eight zero nine seven three. Again, that's eight three three two eight eight zero nine seven three. Let's go out to Fallbrook and speak with Steve. Steve, you're on the Smart Investor, Brent Chase. How can we help you? Good morning, gentlemen. Thank you very much for taking my call. Sure. Back in my genius years, I happened to open up a, an account. And I call it my Dabble account, and. TDS I bought years ago for somewhere in the neighborhood of about $6.50. And I've sat on it ever since. And now, of course, it's well below a dollar. And I really have, don't have a whole lot into it. Obviously, at this point, I don't. But I was wondering if it was worth throwing any more money out uh, in an attempt to average down. Well, well, let's take a look at uh, Precision Drilling Corporation. Uh, their symbol is PDS, and, and this is a Canadian company, and I always forget because I don't do very often how to look at foreign companies. So I, I, I can't give the comparison to the index. Uh, I will give you what the current numbers are and kind of talk about those. Do they make sense or not? Uh, looking at the uh, P-E ratio, it is not material. It's an energy company, so obviously they have no earnings over the last uh, 12 months. Price to sales, 0.14. Uh, kind of amazing here. The price of tangible book value is the same at 0.14. I thought it was a mistake, but it's not. And then price to cash flow is 0.69. So you're not paying very much for the tangible assets of this company. We do see that their sales were down year over year, 5.6%. No surprise there. But what is a surprise, and these are numbers for March 31st, their earnings were up 90.4%. 
So this could be something that they could be turning things around. Again, you got to really look deep at the numbers. Looking at the balance sheet, they got a current ratio of two. That's pretty positive. Debt to equity, 101. Not bad for an energy company going through what they're going through. Return to equity is a negative 1.5. Net profit margin, well, that checks in at a negative 3.3. And again, not bad in this, this time frame we're going through. And then receivable turnover is 4.3. Inventory turnover is 31.7. Chase, do they have any earnings on this company at all going forward from analysts? Well, looking at the current price here uh, to begin with is, uh, unfortunately, when I look at the estimates, it's based on the Canadian dollars. They do have a ADR that trades on the New York Stock Exchange Center, PDS. It, it's on the Canadian Exchange Center, PD, as well. But if we look at the Canadian dollars, it's pretty close. The current price there is 77 cents. Now, 52-week high is $3.15 in terms of Canadian dollars, and 52-week low is $0.38. Cents. Now, if we look out to December 2021, unfortunately, I see an estimated loss of $0.57 cents per share. Um, so, I, I, I just the company could go up 100% quite quickly. I mean, yep. it's up more than 100% from its 52-week low, uh, but it's just it's a, it's a big risk, in my opinion. I, I do worry about the oil drillers over you know over time uh, i think we're, we have a lot of supply of oil out there now and the potential to have a lot of supply with you know fracking and, and the ability that the u.s has kind of shown and also you have saudi and russia and you have all these countries around the world i do worry about the stability of oil prices going forward i think they will of course come off of where oh, yeah. they're at right now but how profitable can these businesses be is, is a concern i have with with these drillers and i did notice too uh steve when chase look at the uh estimates here that negative 57 cents i look at the uh the estimates from the analysts there's eight of them and no one thinks we'll make a profit. The, the, the best is somebody thinks we're going to lose 16 cents uh, December 2021. So, um, you know, I mean, they've got a high debt situation, difficult time frame we're in right now. I, I would think you'd have to let this one go would be my recommendation. Yeah. Or right, you said it's a small amount. I mean, if you, if you like it, if you want to gamble a little bit, let it right. ride. But I'd be very cautious adding money to it, as you had, had mentioned. Yeah, and I think that's the thing. Kind of a gamble. Yeah. So, all righty. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you. Okay, Steve. Thanks for calling. You have a good one. Bye-bye. All right. That does open the phone line. 833-288-0973. Again, that's 833-288-0973. And again, I want to mention, because it's going to come up very quickly, our webinar is going to be this Thursday, May 14th, and at that webinar, we're going to talk about, kind of we just talked about with Steve, looking at all the numbers on it. We're going to go over all these numbers that you hear. We're going to talk about in more detail things we look at. We're going to look at the balance sheet, the income statement, the cash flow statement, teach you that, show you how we get our target sell prices. We're going to talk about the indexes. We're going to talk about other investing that you should or should not be doing, why you shouldn't be doing it. The great thing is it's all free. All you have to do is sign up, and it is going to be Thursday, May 14th, until midnight so you can watch it anytime you want to up to that time frame what you have to do is sign up for it it is free as i said go to our uh, website smartinvesting2000.com that's smartinvesting2000.com all right uh, let's go back to the phones here uh yeah and i, I see john Cornado's calling in about anheuser-busch and i, I got a apologize there uh, when i look at reuters for some reason uh the the numbers are are, are wrong uh, really? Yeah, it looks like the last financial information was 2008, and the estimates um, aren't aren't currently available. So um, mm -hmm. I, I do want to apologize there, John. I, I know we've we've had this 
situation in the past, but it's, it happens like maybe once a year. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, maybe if you could call back next week on Anheuser-Busch or if you had another one as well, we uh, just just let us know and we can maybe take a look at that one as well. Yeah, and and that does happen. I mean, they follow, I don't know how many thousands of companies and, and we did find it. You, you're ready. Once in a while it comes up like, ah, those numbers just don't quite look right. Uh, so uh, we do apologize for that and we'll hopefully next week uh, – uh, Reuters will get it back up again for us. So, all right, uh, let's go out to San Diego and speak with Ed. Ed, you're in the Smart Vest Show, Brent Chase. How can we help you? Yeah, I enjoy listening to the uh, very compatible uh, team that you guys form and uh, makes it uh, more interesting to listen to both of you together complimenting each other in different areas of the uh, stock. So my question is on EGO. It's a gold stock. I'm looking to get into it and uh, wanted your opinion of what you thought of uh, entry point. Okay. Uh, let's talk about uh, El Dorado Gold Corporation. Symbol is EGO. And uh, this looks like it's a foreign company. I, I know some gold companies are in uh, South, South Africa and stuff. Yeah, uh, they they are as well. And this one looks like it, uh, it files in Canada as well. I'm not sure if that's okay. where they're based or, or exactly where they're at. Okay. So, so again, I, 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 I think I always pull up the, the wrong thing here. I forget how to kind of do it when you look at foreign companies. Guys, two in one, one show we're doing here. But I, I can't go with the numbers for you. And I, I know the big allure for gold is that, you know, we think gold's going to come up and inflation and so forth. i be honest with you. I just don't see inflation coming for a while. But we'll, we'll, we'll look at the numbers here for you. Coming again is El Dorado Gold Corporation, symbol E-G-O. Not a bad start. P.E. ratio is 15.2. Carries a price to sales of 2.1. Now, price to tangible book value, very good. That's 0.46. Why is that good? Because that means you're paying about 50 cents on the dollar for the tangible assets of this company. And then we do see price of cash flow is 5.2. They do not pay a dividend. Year over year, their sales are up 82%. Obviously, that's phenomenal. Earnings are up 124%, another big positive there. Very important is the balance sheet. Current ratio, 1.7. That is good. And debt to equity for El Dorado is only 19.2, so that is good. Return to equity, not so good, 3.1. Net profit margin checks in at 20.3. And receivable turnover is 14.2. And inventory turnover, 3.7. Chase, is there any earnings on this? Yeah, so looking at the current price here for Eldorado Gold is $9.24, 52-week high, $11.29, and 52-week low, $3.05. Wow, it has really exploded off that 52-week low there. Uh, If we look forward to December 2021, I see estimated earnings per share on a gap basis, $0.68. Gives a target sell price of $11.02, so still above that current price. Uh, I'd be a little bit cautious with it, though. I... I think gold can do okay. I don't think it's going to go up immensely, however. Um, you know, I, I think uh, we, we actually did hold a, a little bit of gold at the beginning of the year, but I, I think it, it it just doesn't offer much more going forward, in my opinion. Right. And also, too, Chase mentioned we did, we did hold gold at the beginning of the year. We held it as a hedge, uh, not as an investment, and we made eh, about a 10% profit, I think, off that hedge. But uh, we're just not gold people. And the thing you have here with, with a company is you got two factors. you got the price of gold, uh, which is going to go up and down, and then you have the fundamentals of the business, which could go the opposite side. So you got two scenarios there, and I know some people do buy gold companies to try to benefit at the rise of gold, which obviously if gold is going up, they're going to get more for the mining, but you could have a company that goes the opposite direction, as I said. 
Um, and I just don't think that gold is going to, and I, I hear on, on TV and radio, people, oh, yeah, gold's going to do great and so forth. I just don't see the reason for it. So I, uh, and you said you hold this, Ed, or, or looking to buy it? I'm looking to buy it. I'm getting cautious after I talk to you, uh, both you people. <laughs> <laughs> and, and again, I mean, it, and, and the other thing, too, as Chase said, it went from $2 up to $9. So a lot of that right. could be hyped in I already there. missed a big, I already bit, missed a big surge. Right. Uh, and, and, and Ed, the other thing too that's out there is there's a not a lot, but there's a well, I, there's a lot of good companies out there that have they're on sale, they're great prices that you can get more about them, as opposed to trying to play the the gold trade because we we really don't know. Again, my opinion is no inflation. Talk to somebody else. Oh, there isn't going to be inflation, and it's going to you know skyrocket. So I I just like to buy the businesses. And, and the thing I look at here too is I, I mean we kind of talked about it with General Dynamics is you, you have that steady stream of cash flow. With the gold, as Brent mentioned, you have those two factors of the operation of the business and the price of gold that is going to infl- uh, have an impact on their cash flow. I mean, I look at December 2018, the company lost $2.28 per share. Then they made $0.93 cents per share in 2019. I, I just get a little bit nervous when you have such volatility in the earnings and the cash flow because it makes it very hard to predict things going forward. And of course, you know, our, our crystal ball is always a little cloudy, but especially when things are that unpredictable, it, it scares me a little bit more. Yeah. Okay, Ed. Can I ask you another question, maybe, uh, if you want to answer it, about sure. the market? You have upward or neutral or negative bias from here on with the uh, next six months with the the, uh, the general market, S&P? Well, I, do you comment on that, or is that Well, we kind of talked about that a little bit in the beginning of the show, so I don't know if you missed it. Uh, you can actually hear the whole show on our, our website, smartinvesting2000.com. We did kind of come up about that quite a bit, I think, at the beginning of the show. So if you missed the beginning of the show, go to our website and listen to the podcast because it is kind of a long explanation. I don't, want, I don't want to give you a short one. Okay? Thank you. Okay, Ed, have a good day. Thanks for calling. Bye-bye. All right, that opens up the phone line, 833-288-0973. Again, that's 833-288-0973. Let's go to Coronado and speak with John. John, you're in the Smart Vest Show, Brent Chase. How can we help you? Yeah, you know, guys, you know, too bad the uh, numbers on Bud wouldn't come up. But um, how about Constellation Brands, STZ? That's another one that I hold and been up and down a little bit. Um, and I guess beer drinking's down, so maybe that's why the stock's down. <laughs> that 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 could be. Actually, you think beer drinking would be up, uh, people staying home. But, well, it's uh, uh, interesting. We were actually just looking at uh, Barron's this morning, and uh, cocktail garnishes are up 2,043% yeah. over a year. Yeah. I, I think people are shifting towards the, the cocktails more <laughs> than the beer. And that's a number that people could not live without. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, listen, and I know Constellation Brands got pretty pricey, so I'm excited to look at this here, John. So uh, coming again, it's Constellation Brands, symbol STZ, no P.E. ratio. Which means over the last 12 months, they've had no earnings, and these numbers as of as of uh, March, I'm sorry, February 29th. Uh, price to sales 3.8 above the industry at 1.2. Price to sales 89 versus 6.3. Uh, that's very pricey. Uh, we do see a dividend yield of 1.8. Uh, n- no earnings, so no payout ratio there. Uh, their sales are up 2.8 percent year over year. Uh, earnings fell. 100%. The industry was down 95%. Uh, so, again, difficult time for them in the industry. Uh, one thing that bothered me before on Constellation Brands was their balance sheet. I do see current ratio 1.5. Very good compared to the industry at 0.65, but they do have more debt. Uh, the debt to equity is 100 versus 60, and Chase and I will come more about that in a, in a minute when we're 
uh, closing up on this one here. Return equity a negative 0.1 versus positive 0.46. Net profit margin checks in at 0.3 versus 0.55. And receivable turnover 9.8 versus 11.5. And inventory turnover very bad, 2.4 versus 8.2. But I will point out they do have a big wine uh, sales as well. And inventory and wine does not move over very quickly. Chase, what are the earnings going forward? Yeah, I was just going to kind of make a comment here as well. I, I know they, they do have a pretty good diversified uh, collection of alcohol companies. You know, they have the wine, the beer, and other spirits as well. Uh, you know, I was going to say, I am curious uh, if uh, what the conference calls have been like because they do hold Corona. Oh, and, uh, they do. Yeah, <laughs> I, <wonder. right. laughs> I remember there was a, a study, and I think it was a very small survey, but like 38% of people said they weren't going to drink Corona anymore because they were scared they were going to catch <laughs> And I think it's a very small sample size. It's kind of right. just a, a funny survey there. But I am curious if, uh, you know, how that's impacted their business if people have stopped buying <laughs> because of that fear. <laughs> Something I would want to know a little bit more detail on. But look at the numbers here for uh, Constellation Brands. The current price, $166.06, 52-week high, $212, and 52-week lows, $104.28. I go out to February 2022. I see estimated earnings per share on a gap basis, $9.43. That would give us a target sell price of $152.77. So it is a little bit pricey here, John, and a little bit overexpensive in terms of uh, our analysis. And the other thing that does kind of concern me is Brent talked about the 100% decline in earnings. It looks like they have a huge discrepancy between the pre-exempt or their non-GAAP numbers and their GAAP numbers. I mean, I look at 2019, the pre-exempt numbers were $9.28 for earnings per share, and the GAAP was $17.57. Then in 2020, the pre-exempt numbers were $9.12, and the GAAP numbers were a loss of $0.07. Cents. So something's going on there with the earnings that it, uh, is kind of confusing and definitely need to be understood. And one thing that's always stuck in my head was they, they paid, what a, was it a billion dollars for a ballast point? Was that the, the mm -hmm. beer? Kind of, yeah. And it just seemed like so expensive. And, and I don't know, I'm not a big beer drinker, and I, I'm not that that realm, but it seems to me that that whole big beer thing seems to be kind of tapering off a little bit. It's not such a big thing anymore. Especially now when people can't go, the whole idea oh. with the craft breweries was it's more the atmosphere and, you know, it's unique and stuff and can't even go there now. Yeah, and I'm kind of surprised to see that the stock uh, is still at 166 That still seems like a pretty high price to me. So, and, and, John, I think you said you hold it, correct? Well, you know, I do I do hold it, and there's there's been actually another deal. They were building a billion-dollar brewery out in Mexicali, and Ooh. the Mexican government stepped in, and it looks like they're going to stop that project, so... Um, you know, that was another brewery to, to supply the U.S. market. So that that may affect things. But also, I agree with you. I think the craft beer industry is waning. I, I don't see it. I see it kind of in the twilight of its industry. There's just too much of it out there. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I mean, gosh, you drive around here, especially in San Diego. I mean, there's... <laughs> Hundreds of different <laughs> yeah. companies. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I think you're you're right. The the craft beer thing is, and I think it's an interesting industry as well because the whole idea is it's a small type thing. And I think that's why people like it. So it, it kind of contradicts how to build a big business because yeah. you can't build a big business because oh I don't want the corporate thing. I want the craft thing. Yeah. How can you have a craft beer company <laughs> that has multi-billion dollar worth of sales? And I know one thing that we've been kind of watching for quite a while, we haven't pulled the trigger on it yet, but just a normal, like a Molson Coors. I mean, I th you're not going to stop drinking beer, but perhaps just a normal beer company could be good. And 
moving out. Maybe next week somebody can call on that, which is about yeah. our time. And I was just going to say, too, on this, I, I believe they also invested in a marijuana company. and I, 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 I think you're right. I don't know how that's done, and I forget how much they invested, but I, I know the marijuana company has been beat up, so that could be right down on their balance sheet. Could be one reason why they're earning so negative. Yep. John, there's a closing bell. we got to let you go. Thanks for calling. All righty, and thank you for listening to the Smart Investing Show. It is for informational purposes only and should not be used as investment advice. If you'd like to discuss in more detail your investment needs or have other investment questions, feel free to call myself Brent Wilsey or Chase Wilsey at 858-546-4306. That's 858-546-4306. And visit our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. And for more daily educational information on investment tips, go to our Facebook page, Smart Investing with Brent and Chase Wilsey. Today's show is sponsored in part by Thompson Reuters. And closing song, Frank Sinatra's My Way, is performed by local entertainer Roman Palacios. Thank you very much for listening. Have a great weekend. We'll talk more next week. And may I say, not in a this program is sponsored and produced by Wilsey Asset Management. Opinions and offers expressed during this program are not those of Intercom Communications or 97.3 The Fan. KWFN-FM and KWFN-HD1 San Diego, a radio.com sports station. Hey, this is Will Myers from the San Diego Padres. The Padres play here. Car rushed. That's better, Will. On San Diego's number one sports station, 97.3 The Fan.